Lord, we come and commit this time again into your hands. And I'm a little nervous, Father, about it because it's an area where there's been so much difference of opinion and viewpoint and controversy. And, uh, and now we have a problem again with the projector. And we ask for your help, Lord, that you would oversee the entire use of time in this hour and uh, help uh, Daryl and Jason to figure out and JT to figure out the screen so it'll work and, uh, and guide us. So that this would be a really helpful and, and a helpful hour and one of growth and knowledge of your yeah. Okay, so we are on. What I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to keep looking back here until that gets fixed. Usually I can, you know, my secret is I can look up there and read and you don't know that. See, and then that's my take. Okay, so gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, and today we're going to talk about specific gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. I think that will take the whole hour. And then next week, if we're on schedule, uh, gift of healing and then speaking in tongues. And then we go on February 22nd to chapter 54 in the systematic theology book that I've been working through. And that's on the return of Christ. Um, you may be asking, what's going to happen when we get to chapter 57, which is the end of the book? I don't know. <laughs> Ron doesn't know. We're talking about it. We have some ideas. It'll be fun. Let's see. Okay, here we go. Explanation and scriptural basis. This chapter is several gifts that are not understood or whose use has aroused some controversy, primarily found in 1 Corinthians 12. And so uh, there are, we had a list of 20 or 22 spiritual gifts. Some of them, like teaching or administration, are more understandable easily, but these are a little less well understood, and so I'm going to focus attention on these prophecy today. And uh, teaching of miracles, we may touch on a bit, and then healing and speaking in tongues. We'll go uh, at least this way. Definition. Um, now, now I'm going to say something else to you. When I taught here on the deity of Christ, I was teaching you materials that everybody who believes the Bible agrees with. When I taught on the Trinity, same way. And when I taught on justification, same thing. There are certain doctrines of the Christian faith or inerrancy. Everybody agrees. All right? But there are other areas where people have disagreements. And this is one. And so a number of years ago, I began to work on this question of the gift of prophecy in the New Testament, which is mentioned in Acts, it's mentioned in 1 Corinthians, it's mentioned in Ephesians, it's mentioned in Romans, <clears throat> it's mentioned in 1 Thessalonians, so it's, it's in quite a, quite a few books in the New Testament. But what is it? Some people um, thought, well, yeah, we know what prophets are, we know who Elijah was, we know who Moses was, we know Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they're prophets. They said, thus says the Lord, and they wrote their words in the Bible, and well, that must be what prophecy was in the New Testament. But when I started to look at the New Testament, it didn't seem like it matched. It didn't seem like, I mean, for one thing, we don't have any books from the prophet Agabus in the New Testament, do we? In fact, there are no books. The, the books in the New Testament are by apostles or people who were with them and got authorized by them. So there's something a little different. And then I know there were just few prophets in the Old Testament. There, were, you know, here there was Samuel, there was Elijah, Elisha, but just very few. But then, what is this deal in Acts? In Acts two, when when Peter says at Pentecost, uh, "Your sons and your daughters, your old men and young men, men servants and maid servants, will I, God says I will pour out my Spirit on all of them, and they will prophesy, and they will have visions and dreams." Now, what's going on with that? And, and I know Paul has a discussion about the gift of prophecy in functioning in the church at Corinth. You know, about two or three prophets speak, others weigh what is said. But there's nothing in the Bible written by any prophet at Corinth. Is there? Nothing. And, and then in First Thessalonians, don't despise prophesying. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. But there's nothing in the Bible written by any prophet at Thessalonica. It's all by Paul the Apostle or Peter the Apostle or James. So so what's going on? So I got to working on this, and I wrote a paper in seminary, Westminster Seminary, about this uh, for my professor, John Frame. And he kind of liked the paper. And then I wrote another paper, and he liked that too for another class. And then I had to apply for Ph.D. work in New Testament at Cambridge, England. And I 
had to give him a proposed topic. So I said, I think I'll work on this gift of prophecy in the New Testament. So I did. And that ended up being my doctoral dissertation. And then later on, that got published in a, in a popular book. And uh, that book is called the gift of prophecy in the New Testament and today. And it's persuaded a lot of people, and it's not persuaded other people. <laughs> but as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, the fact that I did my PhD dissertation on this does not mean that I'm right. It just means that nobody can talk me out of my position. That's all. I've seen that happen in the academic world, where people get a wrong idea, but they did their doctorate on it, and they know more about all the arguments. So anyway, but anyway, I'm going to I'm going to show, I'm going to walk through this material with you and suggest my conclusion to it. And my conclusion is this: prophecy in the New Testament, the gift of prophecy in the New Testament, is telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. Just telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. So if God kind of brings something to mind suddenly and you think it's from him and you share it with somebody else, and that happens in the Christian life, then I think that's what the New Testament would call the gift of prophecy, and it's not scripture. Hey, thank you, Ron. Thank you, Daryl. JT, who fixed it? Jason? Thank you. Thank the Lord. Good. You know, Ron, who is our class coordinator, though he owns a a company that does, uh, how do you say it, Ron? Wood, custom cabinetry was the IT director for a large trucking firm in the southwest, a regional trucking firm. So Ron knows a thing or two about computers, too. So we have resources. Okay. Anyway, I'm changing the subject. Uh, thank you, Lord, for I've got my screen back. So uh, telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind, and that's what the book looks like. And Crossway Books published it a number of years ago. Okay, so let's go uh, forward with this and see what the argument is and how it develops. Um, the New Testament counterparts to the Old Testament prophets are the New Testament apostles. See, Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the prophets spoke and wrote words that had absolute divine authority. They said, thus says the Lord. And so if you disobeyed Isaiah's prophecy or, or Samuel's prophecy or, or Moses, that's disobeying God's words. It's disobeying the Lord. That was an absolute divine authority. And and God promised through Moses, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, saying this to Moses, from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth. He will speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So that's very serious. That's that's the words that actually had the same, had the quality of authority that the Bible has to us today. Disobey the Bible, you're disobeying God. But in the New Testament, the people who spoke and wrote God's very words and had them recorded in Scripture are not called prophets. They're called apostles. And they're the counterparts to the Old Testament prophets. And when they wanted to establish their unique authority, they didn't say, it didn't say, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be a prophet to the church at Rome, to the church at Thessalonica. He said, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. And Peter talks about the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. That's Romans 1.1 1, 1 and 2 Peter 3.2. And then 2 Corinthians uh, 2.13 speaks similarly about words taught by the Spirit that Paul speaks. But what did the word prophet mean? Well, then <clears throat> I looked, and uh, of course, uh, the New Testament is written in Greek. And there's more, there's more Greek material left from the ancient world than just the New Testament. There's a lot of other Greek literature from that time. <clears throat> and the centuries before. Well, at the time of the New Testament, the word prophet in English now is what translated the word prophetes. Kind of sounds like sounds like the English word prophet. Prophetes in Greek and prophetuo is the verb. And, and it, it just meant one who speaks on the basis of some external influence. So it could be somebody who predicts the future. Could be a prophet, and we use it that way. But it could be just a spokesman. So Paul has that kind of broader sense in Titus 1-2. When he quotes a Cretan writer, not a biblical writer, he says one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And he says, this testimony is true. So, 
So he, you know, he's warning Titus about these people in Crete. But uh, a prophet there just means a spokesman, uh, somebody who was a speaker for Crete. And um, I, I don't have the examples up here, but the announcer at an athletic contest could be called the prophetes, the prophet. Um, a, uh, a teacher of a certain philosophy, uh, Epicureans, could be called the prophet of the Epicureans, or, um, or there are other examples uh, like that. So it didn't necessarily mean one who spoke on the basis of God's authority, but somebody who had been given something to speak. Uh, and and so in the in the New Testament, the words prophet and prophecy, well, sometimes you get you get a little bit of example where uh, one New Testament book is called a prophecy, and that's the book of Revelation, uh, because it's emphasizing the fact that it was that 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 John had these things revealed to him, and he and he and he, trans- and he transmitted them to others. So it was functioning in that sense. He's also an apostle. So um, Revelation 22.7, the words of the prophecy of this book. That book is called a prophecy. I understand that, which was given to John. Um, uh, but much more commonly, the word prophet and prophecy referred to ordinary Christians in Corinth, in Thessalonica, other places. It just, I think, reported something that God had brought to their minds. So look at this. 1 Corinthians 14, 29, the church of Corinth. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. Oh, my goodness. They're kind of thinking about it, testing it, evaluating. Hmm, what is happening there? So that, that that's the ordinary usage for that gift. Now, there are, I think, some reasons as we go through specific verses why... Um, prophets didn't speak with authority equal to the words of Scripture. It was just a different thing. Um, one is Acts 21.4. Paul is on his journey here, uh, on his way to Jerusalem, and they come to Tyre and says, Acts 21.4, having sought out the disciples, we stayed there seven days, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Now, I looked at that. <clears throat> it doesn't say the word prophecy, but it, it says through the Spirit, which means there's some influence of the Holy Spirit in their speaking. And, and, the, and the Holy Spirit is guiding them to, to in some way in that speech. And they say, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. But what does Paul do in the next verses? He continues on the path to Jerusalem. And I thought, something strange is going on here. If Isaiah had, a, had, you know, if Paul had encountered an Old Testament prophet and Isaiah said, don't go to Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, Paul wouldn't have gone because it would have been God's very word. But Paul apparently had a stronger awareness of what God's will was for him than these people speaking through the Spirit. I think probably what happened, I think probably what happened is they had a time of worship and prayer. And during that prayer time, the Lord brought Maybe, maybe to their mind, a, a mental picture of Paul suffering or being in prison in Jerusalem or something. And they concluded, don't go to Jerusalem. But it was their own conclusion added on to what God had revealed to them. And it was through the Spirit, just kind of in a general sense. But the word through in Greek and in English allows for a more general influence rather than actually the very words of the Spirit. Acts 21. While we were staying in Caesarea for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Two (laughs) verbs summarize his two predictions. Bind, Greek word deo, and deliver, Greek word paradidomi. Bind him and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. But when we, that's verses 10 to 11, and we read on verses 31 to 33, it didn't quite happen that way. The Jews did not bind Paul. They found him in the temple. A mob started uh, to form. They dragged him out of the temple, and they started to kill him. So the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. <clears throat> they seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, they were just beating on him, pounding him. Word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. And the way that temple area was laid out at that time, um, 
there was the courtyard outside the temple, and then there was this uh, uh, large plaza outside it. I've forgotten what that plaza is called. And then there was a tower kind of overlooking that, and there were Roman soldiers posted on that, kind of keeping watch over what was going on in the city. So just within the matter of a few seconds, they could run down with a lot of soldiers because they were all posted right there. And the Tribune, now a centurion is over 100 soldiers. The Tribune is over, I think, six centuries or six hundreds of soldiers. So he was a pretty important official. He had a lot of military power at his disposal. The Tribune rushes down, uh, and uh, word came to the Tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. When they saw the Tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. So they see all these soldiers coming in, and they say, well, better shape up here. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. So he wasn't bound by the Jews when the tribune came up there, but the tribune said, now bind him with two chains. And it's the same Greek word, bind, deo, bound, deo. And this word deliver, paradidomi, always means you voluntarily hand somebody over. And they didn't. They were, they were compelled by force. The soldiers had to come and take him away. So Agabus got it almost right. But it isn't the kind of accuracy we would expect of Old Testament prophets, where they're predicting with exact detail dozens and dozens of events. The altar will be torn down, or someone will build Jericho at the cost of his son or uh, son's life, and uh, um, oh, oh, you know the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, and for my clothing they cast lots. And I mean, uh, made his grave with the rich man and the death. I mean, all those things are very precisely, precisely fulfilled. But this is not, the Jews didn't bind Paul. Agabus said they would. The Jews didn't voluntarily give him up, but Agabus said they would. And my my thought again is that what might have happened is that Agabus had this, he was a prophet and God revealed things to him. He had this vivid mental picture of Paul uh, maybe in the custody of Roman soldiers bound and 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 the Jews standing around and, and he said the Jews are going to bind him and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And he got it almost right, but he kind of added his interpretation to it. So at least that that uh, helps me understand what's what's going on there. Okay. Oh, and I... So his own interpretation of this vision would be a kind of fallible prophecy that would fit the definition I'm suggesting for New Testament congregational prophecy, reporting in one's own words something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Paul had Paul had a very good experience at Thessalonica. He 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 had a, a good response from uh, the the to the gospel there. The church was built. It was, First Thessalonians is a very positive letter, <clears throat> and they had accept. Paul said when he preached to them, they they received and accepted God's word with joy from the Holy Spirit. But he says. Don't despise prophecies. Now, wait a minute. Would he really say, don't despise God's word to these people who already honored God's word? Maybe, but it seems like maybe there's something else. Maybe it's something lesser that they were in danger of despising. Stronger than that, he says, test everything, hold fast to what is good. When he says that, he implies that prophecy contains some things that are good and some things that are not good. This is something that could never be said of the words of an Old Testament prophet or a New Testament apostle. Could Paul say, um, when you get together as a church, read from the prophet Isaiah, and out of all of Isaiah's words, test everything and hold fast to what is good. Implying that some isn't good in Isaiah. See, you can't, Paul doesn't treat the Bible that way. So it seems like there's something else, that there's something that can be in, in part from the Lord, but part from human opinion or interpretation or addition to it, and, and, uh, and, it's, and, it, and it's testable. It can have mistakes. So, um, and first, first Corinthians 14, 29, the same. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said or evaluate what is said. So um, so if, if this is the church at Corinth, Ed gives a prophecy, Diane gives a prophecy, Ben gives a prophecy, and everybody's 
kind of evaluating and testing and weighing it. It's not like you hear it like God's word. You're 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 you're, you're evaluating. And um, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. So Mike is speaking, and then God brings something to Ev's mind, and Ev goes like this, and says, and, and so so Mike has to be silent. So Ev, Ev has something to, to share from the Lord as well. That's the picture, I guess, that he has here. Let the first be silent, and uh, that uh, um, uh, that kind of stops the first person. Well, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Then he goes on and says, or was it from you that the word of God came? That implies the answer, no. Uh, or are you the only ones that has reached? No. And Paul's saying, listen to my authority. You got The word of God doesn't come from you. It comes from me as the apostle. Was it from you that the word of God came? Hmm. If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, they should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are command of the Lord. Now, there is strong. That's scriptural authority. Okay? Let's not test everything. Hold fast to what is good. And then there's another argument. And that is, how did the apostles tell the churches to get ready for when they left and went on to another city? Or when they, when they died and they weren't around anymore? They didn't say, all right, I'm going to the next city, but listen to the prophets in your churches. Not any hint of that to any church. It's rather you listen to the teachers who are teaching the Word of God. So it puts the teaching of the Word of God on, on the uh, governing authority over the church. So the apostles encourage their successors to listen to the scriptures, not the existing prophecies or future prophecies once the apostles were gone. So 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed Rightly handling the word of truth. The word of truth. That's the scripture. Um, and, and Paul goes on here in 2 Timothy to talk about scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Jude. I found it necessary to write appealing you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. There's this sense that there's this body of teaching from the apostles that is fixed and you, you contend for it, but it's not being added to by prophets in different churches. Nowhere do we, we read, obey carefully the words of the prophets in your churches. Nowhere, ever, ever. It's not like the Old Testament prophets. So, and there's one more argument I didn't put up here. And that's the the change from the office of priest in the Old Testament to priest in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, how many people were priests? Everybody? Just a few. They were chosen from among the Levites. So a very a select number of people could go into the temple to minister in the temple and be priests and offer the sacrifice that they in the New Testament, how many priests? First Peter two says we're a kingdom of priests. We're we're all priests. We all can come before God. Romans twelve Offer your sacrifice, uh, uh, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. Uh, Hebrews 13, we offer up a sacrifice of praise, which is our, uh, 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 and we offer up a, a fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And, and we share what I, we have, which is a sacrifice. We're all priests. We all come to God ourselves uh, individually. And so few people priests, all people priests. What about in the New Testament? Could it be few people are prophets? And then there's a widespread diffusion of the gift of prophecy. So I'm wondering. Okay, so my conclusion from all that is ordinary congregational prophecy, congregational prophecy in the New Testament churches was not, it was not, not, not speaking the words of God in the sense of more scripture or anything like it in authority. And we should not today consider any words that people claim to be from the Lord to be equal in Scripture, equal to Scripture in authority, or anything other than merely human words. Reporting what God may or may not have brought to mind. Okay? So how does that function in practice? I think, honestly, it already is functioning in many of, maybe most of our Christian lives from time to time, but we don't call it this. We don't call it prophecy. We just say, I think the Lord put a burden on my heart to mention this to you. I think the Lord just 
woke me up to pray for you in the middle of the night, and then, then you find out later that, you know, you read these stories of you're, you're supporting a missionary, and, and all of a sudden at 2 in the morning you wake up, you get this strong urge to pray for that missionary, and then all of a sudden, uh, and, and, then, and, then a, and then a week later you get this email report, and they were just in an auto accident and needed prayer, or they were just arrested by the local authorities. You're nodding your head. You, you've read stories like that. I think that's similar, where, where God brings something to mind and it leads to prayer. Or, I don't know if this happened to you, where um, you're kind of going through the ordinary tasks of the day and you get in your mind that you're supposed to phone somebody uh, and, and maybe it's somebody living far away. And then comes back again, yep, I'm seeing some nods out here. And what, what's, I forgot, Dottie. And then you do it, and what happens? There was some reason usually, okay. So, now, um, that kind of thing happens in many people's Christian lives. And so, Scottsdale Bible Church doesn't talk about the gift of prophecy functioning, but but Daryl, and I'm, I, I haven't remembered instances of Jamie, but I think Jamie believes this too, would say from the pulpit from time to time, God just put a burden on my heart to do this, or God just led me to, to say this and you know, see, if it, see if it's right. And, and I think that the Apostle Paul would say, there's the gift of prophecy function. Um, so I was, having, uh, I was having lunch one day with somebody, and he had just met me. He was a... He he, uh, he was from another state, and uh, Margaret and I and some other people were with him. And he said to me, just kind of after a little, a little conversation, he said, "Do you know somebody named Philip?" And and I knew a lot of people named Phil or Philip, but but who came to mind was a fellow who always wanted to be called Philip, not Phil. And and yeah, I said, "Yeah, I do." He said, "Somebody that uh, that's that you're not in touch with much anymore, but you used to be." And uh, and I said, yeah, because several months earlier, he had moved to another state to take another ministry position. And and he said, and this guy said, I think if you'd call him, there'd be some blessing from that or some some something good from it. And, I mean, he said it as if it was the Lord was bringing it to mind. He hardly knew me. He had no idea about Philip. I phoned Philip, who had moved to another state. I said, Philip, do you and I need to talk about anything? He said, as a matter of fact, yes, I've had it on my mind for the last week. I need to write you a letter. And then there was a conversation we'd had before he'd gone to another church. And I'd said something that really hurt him. And he was, he, he, it was still sticking in his heart several months later. And I didn't intend something wrong by it, but I think I was careless in how I had said something. And, and uh, I need to ask his forgiveness. And the Lord brought healing in that. So now, is that adding to the Bible? No, it's and it, and and this guy didn't say, "Thus says the Lord, call Philip." It, it wasn't that he wasn't say, "Hey, write down after the book of Revelation, Wayne, you should call Philip." No, it's not. It's not threatening the uniqueness of the Bible or the authority of the Bible, but it was useful. Okay, I had another instance once where we had a. a he's, he's given me permission to tell this story publicly, uh, so I will tell it publicly. We had a student at Trinity named Mutava Husini. Mutava was from Nairobi, Kenya. He came and uh, just was a, a wonderful, godly student, went back to Kenya, was ministering there, pastor of a big Baptist church in Kenya. Then he came back to Illinois, and he was on campus at Trinity for a few days, and he saw me on campus, and he said, oh, uh, can I go to church with you Sunday? I said, sure. So he came to church with us on Sunday, and uh, all about 600 people in the congregation. And he was sitting with me in the back part of the auditorium. And afterward, he said, I think I'd like to talk to your pastor. So we come down to the front, and we get down, and the pastor meets him and says, hello, good to meet you. And then just out of the blue, the pastor says, I'm kind of going out on a limb here, but but I think I think the Lord wants you to take more uh, stronger leadership role in your church, where he was already the senior pastor. And what did this pastor say? Strong African leader, mature Christian man. He stood there stunned with tears coming down his cheeks. Why? Because before he left Nairobi, somebody that he really respected in his church had said, 
well, Tava, you need to take more leadership role here in the church. You're not being active and aggressive enough in, in, in taking your role as leader. And then somebody else from a, kind of a respected uh, uh, kind of Christian statesman who had traveled to different churches and was at his church, was there for a few days and said, Mutavi, you need to take more leadership role in your church. And then he comes to this church where he meets a complete stranger and says, I think the Lord wants you to take more leadership role in your church. My goodness. I mean, that was just really good confirmation to him. So, now see, I think that's a good thing when that happens in a church. And when there's kind of permission to let that happen, but where people say it in such a way that they could be wrong. Where he said, I kind of, he said, I kind of going out on a limb here, where it's kind of, I'm, I might be, be wrong. Okay. Ev. We have a mic- microphone's coming. Isn't this synonymous with what some groups call a word of knowledge? Or is it a little, is the word of knowledge a little different? Yeah. In charismatic circles, I think they can use words, word of knowledge and word of wisdom to, to refer to some of this. I prefer the term prophecy just because if I can match the Bible words with the Bible verses with the thing happening, that's what it looks like to me. Word of knowledge and word of wisdom are just mentioned once in 1 Corinthians 12. They're in a list. There's no discussion, no description. I, um, so probably yes, but I, I think the word prophecy is more general. Is that, am I answering what you asked? Okay. Um, but that's just a question of labels. Um, and, and, and here's, but I'm gonna go, I'm gonna answer something you didn't ask yet. Um, if people want to go on just talking about, I think the Lord put it on my heart, I think the Lord showed me, I think the Lord brought to my mind, um, that's fine. Um, because the word prophecy sounds a little strange. I, I know that. And so I'm kind of doing a, hey, can you switch your sense of vocabulary? But I think long term, there's a benefit to matching the Bible verses with what's happening in the church. And, and so, um, and so if we have these verses, then there are some governing verses to control how we approach this. That's all. Okay. Yep. Emmy? Oh, we need microphones up. It just because I'm going to break here for a few minutes and do some questions and comments. Have you noticed in, in your uh, experience that, that it's mostly sweet, quiet, humble people that have this... Um, a true, authentic gift of prophecy, um, because I have run across some people that the Lord talks to them on an hourly basis about other people, and they want you to know what the Lord uh, is telling them about you. And I just, you know, I don't doubt for one second about your previous pastor and yeah. and all, but it just seems like it comes from very sweet, tender, quiet people. I hadn't thought about that before, Pammy, but boy, I'll tell you, when I think back on the experiences where I've seen this kind of thing happening in a very helpful, positive, edifying way, it has been quiet, humble people, largely, largely, yes, that's interesting. Uh, Let's see, let's go way over here. No, no, right back here, what's your name? Yes, Jason, hold on just a second, we'll get How would you respond to people who uh, use the gift of prophecy, or so they say, as a way of manipulation? Um, For example, in a disagreement, um, suggesting that, well, you're not praying about it. And then when you say you are, they say, well, how are you praying? As if to say that they have the connection to God, but you don't. I think you're exactly right to say some people will use this in a manipulative way. I was interim pastor one summer at a church where after I preached a sermon, uh, just standing in front of the church, uh, a woman and her friend had come up and asked me to pray for some, to pray for a back ailment that she had. And I was standing there with her and her friend praying for, and this elderly gentleman in the church who was a little bit difficult anyway, Came up and, and he started to butt in and start to, you know, pray kind of loudly and with a lot of emotion and things. 
we're going to be healed. And I just took him by the elbow and I said, let's, let's go, let's let them pray together for a while. And I kind of steered him away. And so he got the hint and he left. Ten minutes later, everybody's gone from the church. He's waiting for me out in the lobby. The Spirit of God told me to pray for that woman. And he was mad at me. And I just said, the Spirit of God didn't tell me that you were supposed to pray for that woman. <laughs> Conversation over. So, and I say that, Jason, as, as an illustration of the fact that whether it's uh, the pastor in a church or the home fellowship leader in a home fellowship meeting or just a prayer time, God, I think, asks us to control those situations because the enemy will come in and try to drive out the genuine with the fake or the stuff done in the flesh or stuff trying to people trying to draw attention themselves or something like that. And and I just won't won't allow that to happen. We had another instance uh, in our uh, previous church where um, in a previous church where there was a prayer meeting one night regarding going forward on a on a building project for the church. And a pastor called a special meeting. There were 35 people and they were gathering around praying and it was a good prayer time. And all of a sudden this guy gets out of his pocket this piece of paper that he'd written stuff on. And he said. This is what the Lord showed me to read to the church. And he proceeds to go through this long line of condemnation. You are evil. Your hearts are wrong. You shouldn't go forward with this project. You don't know how sinful you are. You need to repent, etc. It was just accusation, condemnation. And so it felt really wrong to me. But my spiritual discernment in those things is not nearly as reliable as Margaret's. So I turn to Margaret, my wife, and I say to Margaret, Did you think that was from the Lord? Because I want to know if she thought it was from the Lord. And Margaret goes, <laughs> so that's two of us who don't think it's from the Lord. It just, it just, and you know, it's like an umpire calling balls and strikes. It's, you call them as you see them. And my, just in my heart, that just sounded wrong. Just, and so, and so, um, it, there was kind of a stillness that came over the prayer meeting. And I just said, Sam, that wasn't his name, but I just said, Sam, thank you for that, but I don't think that was from the Lord. I said it out loud. And then went on. Bring went on. Of course, afterward, again, he was mad at me. So that was from the Lord. I know that's from the Lord. But my pastor backed me up, and I had, I, I was an elder in the church, and so I had I thought a little more responsibility to step forward. Although anyway, so you call it as you see it. Um, I think there's also something else. Um, there's an evaluation that depends on what you know of the spiritual life and character of the person speaking. Sandy, you're going like this. Um, if someone, if I go out, uh, if, 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 uh, if Margaret and I go out to get pizza and someone comes up to me uh, and says, uh, I've got a word from the Lord for you and tells me I'm supposed to go speak at a church or quit my job or I don't know, you know, anything, or you're supposed to read. Um, I'm not going to give it much. I'm not going to pay much attention to it. I'm a perfect stranger. I don't know who it is. And you get all sorts of wacky people. And I get letters like that every once in a while. You know, the Lord told me to tell you that. I, I glance at them, but usually it's right away I just dismiss it. But if Margaret says to me, when I was praying for you last night, Wayne, the Lord brought this to mind, whoa, I pay a lot of attention. Or if, uh, or if just, one of you in this class that I've known for years, and I know you have a mature walk with the Lord, and you say, during my prayer time, the last two or three days when I've been praying for you, God has put this on my heart, and I think I need to say it to you. You need to deal with this pride issue. Or, are you spending too much on this? Or, are you, are you, are you too caught up in this controversy that you, you know, something like that that's rebuking an issue in my heart? I'll pay a lot of attention to that because of the relationship and the tested character of the person saying okay you okay with that now let's see where we are here um so how should we speak about the authority of prophecy today <clears throat> so now see in in this thing i'm, I'm going to say you know i in some ways i think there's something good going on in churches that would be called more pentecostal or charismatic it would encourage this but on the other hand, I'm going to say, I disagree with some of how this is handled. 
And here's the area where I would disagree. <clears throat> I think much confusion results from saying, thus says the Lord. It's a phrase that no New Testament prophet has recorded <clears throat> as having spoken. <clears throat> I'm, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm much better with saying, I think, I think the Lord is putting on my mind. It seems to me that the Lord is saying, or a similar expression. And when I've read books or literature from responsible leaders in the Pentecostal and Charismatic churches, they agree with that. Oh, I don't know if they agree with that, not using that phrase, but they would agree that prophecy is imperfect and impure and, and, uh, and it would contain elements that shouldn't be trusted. So here, oh, look at this great picture. This is, um, this, I know this isn't a great picture, but, uh, a spontaneous revelation made prophecy different from other gifts. What's the difference between me preparing a lesson to teach here on Sunday morning and a prophecy? Well, when I'm preparing the lesson, I'm getting it out of Scripture and just my thought processes of how to explain it and apply it. Teaching is based on Scripture because it's teaching the Word of God. Prophecy, however, is something that God suddenly brings to mind. Paul says, if a revelation is made to another sitting by, let the first be silent. 1 Corinthians 14.30. He's referring to something that God may suddenly bring to mind in such a way that the person has a sense that it is from God. And when a person shares that with others or with the congregation, then it's a prophecy. So here in the diagram, revelation comes from God. And then in the person's mind, he thinks about it, he processes it, and then he reports it. But this is not God's words, his report. This report is his own merely human words. His or her own words. So a prophecy is based on something coming from the Holy Spirit spontaneously. But a teaching is not based on a revelation. It's teaching is based on Scripture. So prophecy has less authority than teaching, and it's always to be subject to the authoritative teaching of Scripture and tested by Scripture. There's another difference. Paul, the elders in the churches are to be apt teachers, able to give instruction in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict it. Never, as it said, an elder has to have the gift of prophecy. Never in the New Testament. See, it's on a different level. Oh, there are some objections. People say, well, wait a minute. This is way too subjective. It's too touchy-feely for me. I'm real nervous about it. But the, the people who the people who make that objection all have button-down shirts like I'm wearing this morning, and they wear their ties straight, and they press their pants. Do you know what I mean? That's, the, excuse me for caricature, but I'm, even though I have a button-down shirt this morning. I'm just saying those who make this objection are the ones who probably need this subjective process most in their Christian life because it requires waiting on the Lord and listening to Him and hearing His prompting in our hearts. And that's an important part of the Christian life. Are you okay? Are you okay with that? I think there's a combination of care for sound doctrine. I just I just gave a, a, a long talk on the importance of sound doctrine to these church planters, but I think this is also a part of the Christian life. I don't think it's only predicting the future. That's another meaning for the English word prophesy. We predict something that's going to happen next year. It could be that. Agabus predicted a famine and predicted what's going to happen to Paul. It could be that. But I think more it's any edifying content. Like the Lord wants you to take more leadership in your church. Or I think maybe it would be helpful if you'd call Philip. That isn't predicting the future. That's just edification. That's just, okay, that's just something that God brings to mind. So... 1 Corinthians 14.3, one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Many people could do this. I'll skip over point nine. We should Now look, here's another area where I'm sitting here Saturday afternoon saying, I told the class I'd teach on this, so I need to teach on this. But my personality is, let's not, let's not, I don't know, let's not do anything controversial. But then, why don't I leave this verse out? 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Because it's in the Bible, so I can't. And it says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So to be faithful to God's word, I think I have to say, we should earnestly desire this. And pray, Lord, will you guide me in these ways? Will you bring things to mind that are helpful for me, for others? And uh, and then see, see if you'll do that. And, you know, it might just be in your prayer times, just taking a little more times of quietness and, and just... And being in the Lord's presence, waiting on Him, it might be all it is. Or it might just be in times of worship, just 
being aware, you know, sometimes God will put something on your mind or your heart that really is from him, and just being aware of that. What if you make a mistake? Well, ask your wife or your husband what he or she thinks of it, or ask a good Christian friend, because we can help each other in this way, and we can uh, correct each other, and we can say, no, I don't think that's from the Lord. I think that's wrong. Okay, then there's number 11 for encouraging this. How can you? I'll let you read that. That's the end. That's a, could you push B on there? Because we've got a few minutes left to talk. <laughs> Mike Mobley. Just come in, Mike. Yeah, Wayne, your word's spontaneous relative to this idea that the Spirit brings something to mind. Yeah. Um, I guess I've been in circles where the thought of prophecy also embedded in it the idea of the Lord's teaching or the Lord's word. Yep. Maybe, and maybe that's why I maybe that's looking for Old clarification. Yeah. yeah. Well, also the thought is, you know, supposing a someone comes to you and their marriage is in problem, having problems, etc. Yep. And the wisdom that the Lord has given you through teaching revelation many years, yep. you can share with that person. Yep. This, I think, is what the Lord wants you to do in this situation. Yep. Is that a spontaneous revelation from the Lord, or is it the Lord's will working through you yep. through the years of teaching yep. and adherence and knowledge of his word? Good. And is that also not potentially a prophecy or or is only a prophecy if you believe that that was a spontaneous revelation that you should share that yeah i good great question mike if it's just i've dealt with this problem because i've talked with couples who have had this situation 35 40 times before in my ministry life then i think that's just reflection on my own database in my mind and from my knowledge of the word and i'd call that a teaching or a counseling or an edification or something like that uh, exhortation but if god suddenly brings to mind um you know we're talking together and all of a sudden i get this ask about their uncle that's totally that's not the normal thought process and it's a little hard to explain but there's something that feels like it's from the lord can't can't say anything more than that. Then if I say, hey, you know, is there something to do with your uncle in this? Oh, wow. Blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden it spills out. And we've had that happen. Oh, let me just. Yeah, I, I don't want to embarrass Margaret, but a couple, just a couple from the seminary when I was teaching back at Trinity came over. There was a back problem that had been ongoing for a number of years. And they said, could you just meet with us and, and pray that the Lord would heal this back problem? No. So said, sure. So they come over, we talk a few minutes, we start to pray, and, and we're just praying, and I pray, Lord, please heal her back problem, etc. And then we're just quiet, and, and Margaret says, I sense some, some real sadness here. And that was a feeling even, even rather than a word. And, and Margaret had the freedom to say that, and it wasn't the... There wasn't any evident sadness or anything. She was just struggling with the back problem. And um, all of a sudden the story comes. Ten years ago she'd had a child aged one who had died. And there was tremendous grief yet. And uh, she was still dealing with that. And the next 45 minutes was she's talking and we were praying about her and then she's praying about it, praying for the Lord to heal her heart, talking some more, a lot of tears, just a wonderful prayer time. Well, I would say that was a prophecy. And and I saw him a couple days later, and they, I said, how's the back? No change. But if the only reason we came here as students to this seminary was for that prayer time, it was worth it. So I think that's from the Lord. See, and it's different than what we were thinking in our ordinary processes. And just the freedom to say, I sense some real sadness here, or something like that, was, um, and just saying, wait a minute, what is that, Lord? That isn't what I was, that was, see, it's different. That help? Yeah. And then sometimes I don't know because it's all jumbled up in my mind. Is it from the Lord or is it partly from the Lord? Is it just my experience? I don't know. So who cares? <laughs> Way in the back row. 
I just wanted to say when we talk about the humility of people or the humbleness, I think a lot of people are very strong and they say things to people. To me, when it's accepted in the best is when it's transparent. Mm -hmm. And I think when you say it in transparency, people understand that it's from the heart yep. and it's not condemnation or judgment. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, because I, I don't want you to start going around saying, God says the Lord, you should do this. Or the Lord told me you should do that. I, but, but, you know, just gently, and if it's from the Lord, you say, you know, God put this on my heart when I was thinking about you or praying for you, and, and I just think I should share it. There's a humility there that allows permission to say, okay, thanks, but it doesn't say. If it's from the Lord, it's going to hit home to someone's heart because the Holy Spirit will be in that, and that's all we need, okay? Can that be useful, even though it's not of the authority of Scripture? I, I think it is. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with one other thing. Uh, there are people who have disagreed with me and, and really respected scholars who have disagreed with me on this and said, no, we don't think so. We think it's Old Testament uh, quality uh, Bible authority. But my response is, you know, if you look back through the whole Bible, isn't the whole Bible a history of God relating personally to individuals, not just in the words of the covenant or the book of the covenant or the book of the law of God, but also talking to them. So, I mean, Adam and Eve, God talked with them. Cain and Abel, he talked with them. Noah talked with Noah. Um, and, and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And then Moses, he talked with Moses. And then, and then you go on. And, and when you got, start getting the Ten Commandments and the words of, of Scripture that are growing and, and deposited in the book of the, as the book of the covenant, still David, and Solomon, God appears to them and talks to them in addition to these words of the Book of the Covenant. And um, uh, and through the New Testament, you have you, know, you have little hints of the of the Holy Spirit leading in this way or that. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit, but also all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And um, talking about being walking walking by the Spirit and and um, and being led by the Spirit in Romans eight and Galatians. Um, Bible. So it seems to me the whole history of the Bible is that God relates personally to each one of us individually. And basically this is just a, an outworking of how that happens. And if it's protected and guarded so we don't, never, never, never can we ever accept anything to go contrary to scripture and doctrine or conduct. But if we say it's part of the Christian life, then I think it's okay. And I think it, it brings benefit to us in the church. Well, I've gone so long that I don't have time now to uh, do a hymn. We'll do a hymn next time. Let me pray. Lord, thank you uh, for this good class. And um, thank you that we can talk about uh, things on which there are differences as well as agreement. I pray, Lord, that nothing of what I say here would be uh, would lead to harm in people's relationship with you or walk with you or trust in your word or obedience, but that it would be helpful, Lord, and, and that you would stir up in people's minds and hearts, Lord, more awareness for when you are guiding or leading or bringing something to mind for their own lives, for my own life, or for each other whom we love, brothers and sisters in the Lord. Lord, we, we, seek, we seek a closer walk with you. We seek to follow your leading and know your will in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that this gift would be a component in that. It would be helpful and useful for people today. Amen. See you next week. Talk about prayer for healing. <laughs>